Hello and welcome to another NL full-time podcast. I'm Rob Worrell and uh, joining me from Off The Line blog, it's uh, Joe Pope. Hi, Joe. Yeah, hi guys. Thanks for having me again. I've uh, kind of been out the loop for a week doing other things, but nice to be back doing the National League again. And we've even got FA Cup action this week, so lots to get into. We certainly have, and in the second half of uh, this weekend's pod, We'll be joined by FA Cup fact file himself, Mr. Phil Alex, um, to uh, discuss how the North and South teams got on in the second round, second qualifying round. That's right of the uh, of the FA Cup in the National League, the league that keeps on giving this season. Um, crazy stats every week, really. Red cards are up sixty percent on this time. Last year, there were four more at the weekend, two of them coming from the same team. There's also been a change at the top of the league table. Uh, and just a few hours before we record this podcast, there's been a managerial departure. There's only nine games of the season gone, but it's the third managerial departure of the season. Um, and uh, I'm going to just read briefly from the uh, Statement issued by Oldham on Sunday morning. Following 12 months in his position as first team manager, Oldham Athletic can confirm it has parted company with David Unsworth. Later on in the uh, statement, it says the club that can confirm that Steve Thompson will take interim charge of the first team matters while a recruitment process is conducted. Well, joining us now on the NL full-time podcast to discuss the managerial situation at Oldham is uh, Matt Dean, host of the Boundary Park Alert System podcast and Latix football phone-in. Matt, thank you very much for joining us. It's my pleasure, Rob. Thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, no worries at all. Start straightforward question. Is this the right decision by the Oldham board and have they made it at the right time? They really didn't have any other options, really, at this point. It's been, um, first of all, just like, just to clarify that on the podcast for the last, for, for this season, you, we've been, even into last season, Unsworth had his detractors last season, okay? But this, like I said to you before we started recording, we, we started the season with the worst squad we've ever had, and we really just had to recruit just to keep in the division. And he, and he finished the season quite strong. So going into the summer with the recruitment, that you know, with the new owners who've, who'd only been in situ for the first season, last season, spent a bit of money, brought some players in, and everyone thought, okay, now we're going to see what he's all about as a as a coach and as a manager. He's been well backed and whatnot, and so and we desperately needed stability at the football club. We've been on a downward trajectory for thirty years, which has culminated in us being you know in the relegations or the, of the national league last Christmas. So it's it's been poor, um, and there's been a lot of work that's needed to be done to rebuild the football club, and that process has started with brand new everything, pretty much, including a first team coach in David Unsworth, who. Went, came to us from Everton's under twenty threes, having been in 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 that position for a long, long time, and um, it was a big job for a, a rookie. Which ultimately, you know, in terms of somebody who didn't know the division, um, didn't know players at this level, because he's always really played at a you know, much higher level. Um, he's been working with younger lads rather than than um, you know full time pros for for a, for a while. Uh, you know, adult adult men, I guess you'd say. Um, and it was a tough gig, and you know he he really did have to learn quickly. And 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 
the, the 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 real shock to everybody was the first game of the season when we got beat 4-0 away at South End. And we looked like a team of players that had been round up, you know, on the beach in South End before the game and said, lads, can we, you know, will you come and play for Odom Athletic? Because we were so bad. Um and and unfortunately that was, you know, that was the way it started and it didn't really get better. We, we won five one against Aldershot and we looked pretty good that day. Aldershot were poor, but it's it's been getting worse. Um, and I've I've been a real advocate for sort of like giving time. I don't you know like be patient and 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 try not to put too much pressure on the board and on the manager and on the players. But it's become untenable because very rarely have we had a more unpopular manager at the club. You know, a lot of the fans had made their mind up, and and the, the atmosphere against the, the door uh, after the Dorking game on during the Dorking game last week, when, which was nil nil, was terrible. Last four games, we we scored two goals, and and they were the two goals that the Gates had keeper threw in the back of the net for us um, in the televised game. So it's been poor, and um, it had gone beyond the point of you know when it's just gone beyond the point with the fans and and the manager and the relationship and and, and he did his interview yesterday um, after the game and he was just a defeated man you could see it the, I think one of the things you know when you get one of these kind of like strange ironies these strange circumstances was his very first game last season was three nil away we lost three nil away at Bromley terrible game of football from our point of view we got murdered. Um, and then almost a year to the day, I think I think we played them on the twenty fourth um, last last season. So almost a year to the day after all the recruitment, all the new players and whatnot, we get beat three 0 away at Bromley in another abject performance. And I think that really was just it kind of came full circle. It's like really we've not we've not gone anywhere in this last twelve months, and uh, the, the board were left with no choice. So mm. that's it. Well, yeah. Sorry, go on. No, no, and that's all. That's it. It's uh, it's over. It's done. The uh, yeah. the the year of the rhino has ended. That's his yeah, nickname, I by the way, think... Rhino. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I don't think anybody can question that um, it has to be done at this stage. There might be a few people that question whether it should have been done before. I know we've been questioning it on this podcast for the last two or three weeks at least, and. I did fear that if uh, Oldham didn't beat Dorking last week, that it might happen then. Uh, not only did they not beat Dorking, but, you know, photographic evidence has, has, has proven that Dorking, you know, did have the ball over the line. It should have been mm. a Dorking win. But even then, Frank still wanted to try and give Unsworth a chance, didn't he? I know he went into the crowd um, in a recent game, didn't he? Um, uh, Fairdale Frank himself, the, 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 the owner. And he um and he tried to convince the supporters to back Unsworth, didn't he? But it it turned out to be a last throw of the dice, really. I mean, he got he goes in the away end, you know, away games, um, and so at the end of the day, he's under no illusions because he hears what people, you know, hears what the terraces think and and how fans that, you know, it was just it was untenable. At, at the end of the day, like we're seven points off the playoffs, right? So when it's not panic stations by any stretch of the imagination but with every game we, we we've got three away games three tuesday night games now so the next three weeks you know we've got york on uh tuesday then we've got oxford city then we've got kidderminster away so we've got two home games against york and oxford city and then we've got kidderminster so we need three we need nine points like we've got to beat these teams because they're in and around us we've got to climb out up the table so uh it was it was becoming very very clear that under runsworth 
we could we could we could lose those games or draw those games and and just end up getting pulled down because at the end of the day south end are bottom and they've had minus 10 so um we we're effectively second bottom of the of the we're third bottom in reality which is bobbins obviously but we're we're, we're actually second bottom in terms of actual points accrued this season and that's you know it's just obviously not good enough for the, for the for the you know they've got to, the the board and the owners have got to get a return on their investment haven't they and I, i've been saying this you can't expect investments to mature straight away but there has to be some there has to be some life in it doesn't there there has to be some some sign that it's it's going to mature and and ultimately um it's we're just going backwards so he he seems to have lost it. he lost the dressing room he lost the players um, you, you know what it's like. All kinds of rumors start flying about. I hear all kinds of stuff, which I don't repeat because it's rumors. But there, there, there's often no smoke without fire, as they, as they say. So, yeah, I don't think it's. Um, I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that whoever comes in is going to have to know what they're doing. They're going to have to hit the ground running. But they do. They are going to come in a bit like Ardley has at, at York and find themselves with a really good squad of players. There's no doubt in the ability that's been assembled. And that's one of the things that's totally baffled me this season is how clubs like York and Oldham can have spent so much and assembled such good quality squads and that basically barely have got a win hardly between them. It, it is staggering. And, and that brings me back to the time in question. And I want to come to you, Joe, um, on this initially. And we'll get to Matt's thoughts as well in a moment. But you start to think about who will they go for? Where will they go to? And 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 one of the reasons in, you know, in them in delaying what looked like an inevitable decision is they've missed out on a manager of the quality of Neil Ardley now who's gone to, to York. So, um, you know, who should they be looking at? Um, I know one of the things you love to take into account, Joe, is is the style of play and the system and all that kind of thing that, you know, that suits the players they've got. Yeah, for me, I think it's got to be, I know you can, you know, a mansion come in and have different ideas on how to do things, but for me, it's got to be someone that has to play three at the back with wing backs. I mean, you look at the players that they brought in, um, you know, Sean Hobson from South End was brilliant last year in a three at the back at South End. Not when he has played this season, he's been shoehorned in at right back. James Norwood at Bransley was in a three at the back and was playing up front in a two. Uh, and he's not had that this season. You then had Charlie Raglan, who was at Cheltenham in a three. Mark Kitching's better as a wing back. So I, I think it's got to be someone that can play that way. Um, the, the name that would spring to mind for me would be Mike Williamson at Gateshead, if they can get him. Um, certainly, I think that would be an attractive appointment. I uh, hope he doesn't go because I think he's doing really, really good things at Gateshead. Um, but in terms of playing that way uh, and playing the football that the Oldham fans want, because speaking to a couple of Oldham fans this morning, all they want is a manager that can can play some good football at the end of the day, you know, get them back playing some good football, winning some games. And they've certainly got the quality to do that. They just need a coach good enough to to put them into the system that they need to get the best out of these players. Yeah, and, and, and with the quality of the players that they've got, play on the front foot because, you know, with the exception of that Aldershot game where they were quite brilliant, to be fair, um, the players Oldham have got, Matt, cry out to be on the front foot, you know, um, and take the game to teams and, and, and not set up not to lose, which is the constant criticism I heard of, of Unsworth. Um, we're literally 
recording this some four hours after the statement was released. I know you've been re- busy recording your own podcast, Matt. What yeah. other names are out there? Anybody else you can throw into the pot? I mean, I think that the thing is, is that the conversation, one of the conversations we had this morning was about whether or not, you know, in terms of philosophy and how to play and all that and recruitment and how who to bring in, I, I don't think we're set up for the for the wing backs thing at the minute because we don't. I mean, we don't have a right wing back first of all, so we 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 we'd need to recruit some. We, it's it's about creating that identity, and we've we've not done that under Runsworth because he's chopped and changed how he wants to play all the time. He's always been reactionary. He's not sort of had the courage of his convictions and said, "This is how we're going to play," and and also not looked at what he's got and thought, "How is this." going to best suit this group of players um the group that we've got now i think that the general feel is that we're better off in a 4-4-2 at the minute just to sort of use devon green as a winger use um you know kitchen's going to get up and down that left hand side anyway but we need a manager that knows this level knows this league um knows how to get the best out of players because i think you look at clubs like gateshead you look at clubs like Dorking. And all the teams that do well at this level, that's what you've got. You've got a manager who gets the best out of them, who gets them performing at their best every week. And our our players haven't been. They've been under under underachieving, but they've also been set up to fail. I think by the chopping and changing of the of the systems that that that, that runs with us. It's almost like he's not knowing what he's wanted. And if he doesn't know what he's want what he wants, how are the players supposed to to know that? And so we we do need somebody to. I don't know honestly uh, who's going to. It's up to the board now to try and make the right decision. But it has to be somebody who's who's got experience at this level and and has got a network at this level and knows the knows players at this level. I think I think the gulf for Ellsworth was too big coming from the Premier League, a Premier League setup, never been involved at this level before. I think it was a massive shock to the system for him in terms of coaching these players and 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 seeing how, you know, they can be so inconsistent and I think it was just a I think it was a bad appointment really when you if you're honest about um it it, it was like one or two steps ahead of where it should have been. I think it, now we need to go back. Let's get somebody who knows the National League. Um, in this position, and he's going to get the best out of the players. I think, and I think you're right. I think as long as we, as long as we, the manager that comes in sets us up to win games rather than not lose them, I think the fans will get behind it from from the start. And uh, Joe, one manager who knows the national league, who's been promoted from the national league, who might be on the on the tip of your tongue, uh, Daryl Clark. Yeah, that would be the one that I think would be the most realistic uh, and gives them what they need in terms of, you know, he knows the level, got teams promoted uh, out of the division with, with Bristol Rovers. Uh, and then, you know, longer term can be successful in the Football League as well, got teams out of League Two. Um, and, you know, he is a, a very, very good manager. Um, and obviously he's available, which I think is uh, perhaps key in trying to get it wrapped up quickly. So mm. that would be my... Uh, number one, to be honest. All right. Well, let's move on a little bit from the Oldham situation. Matt is going to stay with us while we review the rest of Saturday's games. There was no doubt about the result of the day. Uh, Rochdale beating top of the table Barnet 4-2. Tyrese Sinclair at the double again. That's seven goals in nine games for him now. But he's not the top scorer in the National League. I'm delighted to say a bit like Aaron McLean, who's jumping on the bandwagon now and saying he predicted him as well. But Nicky Kabamba, who scored two goals in that game for Barnett, 
uh, is the top scorer with eight now. I will be hoping that Kabamba dries up a bit midweek this week because I'll be along at the Hive watching Barnet looking to bounce back against uh, Aldershot Town on Tuesday. Matt, you mentioned that um, Oldham was seven points off the playoffs, but if you want to flip the stat round, they're 15 points behind leaders Chesterfield. And, you know, before a ball was kicked, the two sides were pretty hot favourites to almost be the Notts County and Wrexham of this season. That's a mm. big advantage to get Chesterfield, isn't it? I mean, I, I, there wasn't any Oldham fans that, re, well, that, that we spoke to and that we had on the podcast that actually fancied us to be title contenders, to be honest with you. I think we're too far behind Chesterfield in terms of, I don't know, we've done, we've recruited well, but they're, they're just ahead of us in terms of, it's like other teams in this division are ahead of us in terms of developing a team. Teams, just because you recruit well doesn't mean you're going to hit the ground running. You've got to develop a team. It takes a bit of time. We've all fancied ourselves for the playoffs, and I think that's still totally achievable. Um, I think if we don't, because obviously the, the, the players are such a lottery, but I think if we do make the playoffs this season and we don't go up this season, then you'd be looking at us to be you know, one of the favourites for the title next season because it, it is all about momentum. You've got to build it up. Our, our downward momentum has been going on for 30 years. And what, at the beginning of last season, when, when uh, well, it was John Sheridan at the beginning, but at the start of the season when the owners came in, we had nothing. We had no recruitment team, no scouts, no physio equipment. There was nothing. Like the club was pretty much decimated. So it's moved on a lot in 12 months and, like I say, if we can, if we can get if we can mount a playoff challenge and, and and get in the playoffs this season, then we'll be our momentum will then be going in the right direction, and you know, hopefully we'll make it through the playoffs with a bit of luck. Uh, if we don't, then you'd be we'd be looking to obviously strengthen again next season, and I think we'd be up there with the title um, credentials for next season. But it's a bit too much too soon. Just because we're a big club in this division, you have to also put into context just how badly this club has been run for how long. You know, we 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 could have easily gone into a, a Scunthorpe type scenario or a Torquay's well Scunthorpe because they came down with us, you know, and gone down again because everything was so was so bad. So this season, as long as we see progress on last season, and that would mean top ten, top eight, top seven finish, then most of us would be happy as long as we're building that momentum going forward. But yeah, to, to say we were ever title contenders, really, I just think was a step beyond what was actually. Yeah. I don't doubt for a minute that it's the size of the club and the quality of the squad they've assembled that have led to those. And it's interesting to hear from within the kind of Oldham supporter camp that that, that nobody really believed that they could con- contend for the title. Um, Solihull Moors are um, the surprise package this season for sure. Um, Joe, before a ball was kicked, unfortunately, you tipped them to go down. And I've got to back you a little bit because I thought they would struggle too. But we underestimated them. We underestimated Andy Wink. And they remain the only unbeaten team in the National League after coming through another test yesterday. And there may have been some fortune amongst that. Kidderminster, who were really struggling to score goals, did everything but against Solihull. But in the end, it was a a Matty Warburton strike, that uh, his third of the season, that secured all three points for Moores. Second time I'm going to make this comment of the season... Warburton played a lot deeper at times at Halifax. I, I think we're seeing a little bit more of the poacher Warburton again this season in his role at uh, Solihull Moor. So a great win for them. And uh, one of several stats, I've got to give a thanks to Adam Virgo, actually, who uh, has forwarded on a few stats to us that are fascinating. I'll, I'll, I'll mention one or two through the show. But 
Solihull Moors are now unbeaten in their last 48 National League games when leading at half-time. They've won 40 and drawn eight of those games. The last time that they lost when winning at half-time was away to Woking in October 2020. Uh, Jimmy Shan was the Solihull Moors manager then. Um, question to you, Joe, on Solihull Moors. We've had a good look at them now over nine games and... Uh, any reason to uh, question whether or not they are the real deal? Um, I certainly think they'll stay up. Um, if I was doing another predictions now, I certainly wouldn't uh, would have them to go down. Um, yeah, I mean, they've started well. Um, they do look good. Um, but as I say, it's only nine games. Um, yes, we are nearly a, a quarter of the way through the season. Um, but yeah, I, I think... For, for Andy Wing, he probably would have expected them to not have been as good as they have been so far. He will probably be a little bit surprised um, just how well he started. Obviously, he he had a, a good squad there uh, and they added some good players, but to start as well as they have done um, is a little bit surprising. But yeah, if they can keep uh, grinding out results like that, then uh, yeah, no reason why they can't be perhaps, you know, Middle, middle of the pack or pushing towards the playoffs. Yeah. To do that, they'll probably uh, want to have slightly better home form. At the moment, they have drawn three out of four games at home. So that's where they need to improve. Another fascinating stat on Kidderminster. They've scored just four goals this season from 76 attempts on goal, 25 of which have been on target. They've got a conversion rate of just 5%. So, uh, no doubt where they need to improve. And Russell Penn alluded to that in his post-match interview after Saturday's game. Bromley, we'll mention briefly, of course, we've already touched on it with the Oldham uh, game there. They really have kicked into gear now and sit fourth in the table after their 3-0 win. Um, we mentioned that we, we caught up with uh, Michael Cheek last week, a little bit too late to join us for the recording. And the deal he and I struck is the next time he scored, in a Bromley win, we'd reach out and get him on. Cheeky, you were so, so close, mate. But uh, unfortunately, he missed the penalty yesterday, Michael Cheek. So he wasn't among the scorers. Bromley, though, with another excellent win. And a pretty eye-catching result for Woking as well. 2-0 winners at Hartlepool. Ricky Corboa at the double just after half-time. Um, and a staggering stat again um, about Hartlepool, Joe. They are still waiting for their first clean sheet since John Askey came in. And that run now stretches to 22 games. So no doubt where they need to focus if they're going to stay up there amongst the front runners. Yeah, and um, John Askey said yesterday uh, in his conference after the game that uh, they're just not defending their goal well enough. Um, interestingly, a couple of weeks ago, um, we said that uh, they'd lost two of their key players. Uh, Daniel Dodds and Anthony Mancini to long-term injuries, haven't won since they've been out. Um, and Daniel Dodds, obviously a key part of the defence. Uh, not having him there will be a, a blow. So, uh, yeah, I'm a little bit surprised they haven't kept the clean sheet. Um, you almost you always associate John Askey with having really well-drilled, well-organised teams. But, um, yeah, both teams will be fine come the end. But as for Woking, certainly, really, really impressive win there. Yeah, Gateshead have really impressed this season. They were superb from start to finish at the EBB Stadium on Saturday. Um, 
all the shot credit to them stayed in the game defended really well out of possession against constant tirade of attacks from from Gateshead and actually had the barefaced cheek to take the lead in that game Josh Stokes with his fifth goal of the season but uh, once again for shots late on they conceded and uh, it was Ed Francis with his first Gateshead goal after the game uh, my friend and colleague Steve Gibbs caught up briefly with uh, the Heed manager, Mike Williamson. 6-0 last week, won all this week. Yeah. But I don't want to put words in your mouth. The performance this week was at least on a par. Yeah, like I say, goals change games, as the cliche mm. goes. And uh, last week, we it was incredibly hot and on mm. both sides. So when you've got control um, with the ball and with the scoreline, it is easier. And this week, like I say, coming up against a team that was pressing the life out of them, never give up, never give us an inch. That was also pleasing uh, that we still were able to play with the, the bravery and the courage. Um, and yeah, it was the, probably did on, on, on edge, create more chances last week of the nature of it. But ultimately, um, I think another day of our quality with the action before the last one was there, mm. I think we could have scored a few today. Yeah, I mean, like you said, the possession stats, the XG, whatever, I've not, not seen them yet, but just to the naked eye, that first half was as dominant as I've seen any team be at this level. Yeah, well, that's, you know, <laughs> obviously you ultimately want to dominate the scoreline, yeah. but if you're not doing that, you've got to make sure the stats are backing up the yeah. uh, possibility to do, and we, like I said, we would say to the boys, stacking the odds as, as much in your favour yeah. as possible, and I thought we did that, but that's the beauty of football, you're 1-0 down, you're, you're fighting, obviously the home yeah. team get behind, it makes it difficult for us, but we kept our calm and kept plugging away, and we got the, got the goal in the end. Yeah, and that process, that kind of belief in your principles that never wavers that's I suppose is that more important than the short-term results almost oh yeah 100% because like I say you replicate this game in terms of statistics I think we win the game more often than not oh, absolutely, so yeah. that's exactly what we've got to look at and we've got to take we're, we're frustrated look we, we haven't won the game and ultimately if uh, you're going to achieve anything you've, you've got to put back-to-back -back wins consistently throughout so yeah of course there's that element of uh, frustration with us but we've just got to feel that in because we've got a long journey then we've got Kitty on Tuesday that was Mike Williamson and uh, Joe. There's one thing that isn't under the radar anymore and, and there's no doubt in at all, is there, that Gateshead are the real deal? Yeah, they are. Really, really good side. Um, I think Mike Williamson yesterday that uh, he thought his side passed the ball really well, which they always do, and was actually disappointed they didn't win the game. Even when they go behind, they stick to their philosophy, kind of bringing it back to what Matt's point with Oldham. Um, you know, when you... Yeah, don't have that set system and, and style, um, whereas Gateshead do. They know how to play and uh, ultimately they've got them a, a share of the spoils. And yeah, they're, they're the one team that I wouldn't want to, to play uh, in the playoffs if I was one of those sides up near the top as uh, mm. they can certainly uh, break down any, any defence in this league. We played them three times last season. We had them in the FA Trophy and we've played them already this season and we haven't beaten them in four games and, and they've passed us off the, off the pitch every time. So, yeah, they are. They're a good team to watch. Yeah, brilliant. And uh, um, <clears throat> you touched on it earlier that, um, you know, even at 1-0 down with, with five, eight, seven, whatever minutes left, Archie Mayer was not rushed at all. He, he didn't want to kick it long. He waited for the position to open up so they could play it through the thirds and they play with the same passing flair wherever they are on the pitch and uh, you know 
it, the one thing that was unusual for me yesterday was to see an Aldershot side playing against a really good side in form and actually get a point out of it. So well done to the shots on the day. The achievement of the day, uh, though, belongs to Mark White's men, to Dorking Wanderers, who, thanks to 38-year-old Tony Craig, got their first ever away win in the National League north of Watford. Uh, Matt, you'll have been pleased they didn't get it a week earlier, but um, based on what you saw you know, seven days, seven, eight days ago. Um, do you think that win was very definitely coming for Dorking? Yeah, I mean, we've we've got quite friendly with Mark White over the last couple of seasons because he, he, he's he been on our phone in a couple of times. He came up to our uh, end of season awards and, and end of party at the end of the season last season. And he's a great guy and he's he's... He's he's got a great personality, and what he's achieved at Dorking is absolutely tremendous. Like it's unbelievable. A lot of that is based around his his personality and his charisma and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, as well, because he's a bloody good football manager and he he drills his teams and he gets them playing. And you know, to to, to for them to be competing in this division um, at all, <laughs> considering they're basically a pub team that has just evolved to get to the, it's absolutely phenomenal what he's achieved and um yeah so it doesn't surprise me at all it, it doesn't so i mean we, we we played them last season on the first home game of the season um we beat them three two we were three up at one point it was um the televised game and they're a big occasion for Dorking. then they got back to, to they, they got back to three two and give us a scare even last season away at Dorking, we beat them five one but for the majority of the game they were the better team with the ball they just they defended really badly um, so yeah, I, th- I think last last week they didn't play particularly well against us, but then we were really poor. Uh, but they looked like they looked, they looked dangerous on the break. Um, so I'm delighted for him. Delighted he got that they got that um, they got that win yesterday. Good stuff, and uh, worth noting that that's three clean sheets on the spin for Dorkin. Um, and I'm beaten in three of the four matches since Mark White's been back in the dugout after his uh, eight match stadium ban. Mm. Uh, we're running out of time uh, for this part of the show now, so a bit of a roundup of the best of the rest. Wealdstone and Alty drew nil-nil, as did Oxford City and Daggers, uh, for whom Josh Reese very nearly scored his third consecutive goal. Uh, Boreham Wood have drawn a lot of their um, away games this season. Well, they finally got a win away from home, a twice-taken penalty from Tyrone Marsh after encroachment. And I looked at the replay, Femi. You're coming on next week. It was you who won that race. You were furthest forward in the penalty area. Thankfully, Ty Marsh stuck it in at the uh, second attempt. Um, and, of course, even after that, Ashmore uh, came to the rescue for Boreham Wood as he saved uh, a late Charlie Adams penalty that would have seen uh, another away draw for Boreham Wood. But they got the job done. And York got their first win under Neil Ardley. Uh, a 3-0 win over Southend, for whom it wasn't just the missing out on three points, Joe, was it? Red cards for Gus Scott Morris and um, Harry Taylor. And uh, that's two players that won't be available midweek to play against Maidenhead. And I don't know how they're going to get round it because from the the, um, squad that we know about, I think they've only got 12 available players on Tuesday night. Yeah, they've only got twelve. Um, speaking to Chris Phillips, he said uh, he said they're really going to struggle on Tuesday. Obviously, only got one sub. They only had three uh, on Saturday, and obviously now lost two more. Um, one of those, uh, they weren't really sure how on earth 
or why he was sent off. And Gus Stuart Morris uh, sent off with two minutes to play. Um, but uh, yeah, you you really got to feel for 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 Kevin Mayer and his players there. You know they're really giving their all, and uh, you know the fact that they keep having their squad chipped away. Um, yeah, it, it's getting you know, much much harder. And he even said himself yesterday, sort of the. The first crack, shall we say, from Kevin Mayer, he just said, you know, I need help. You know, I need help because I cannot keep getting this team up every week uh, to play games. So, um, yeah, they're doing their best, um, but it's getting much, much tougher. And they got a really hard run now, a couple of games in the space of two weeks, I think three or four games. So, yeah, that squad's going to be pushed even more. It's really going to be stretched. We go Saturday, Tuesday now for three consecutive Weeks Just to wrap up the National League, AFC Fylde had Alex Whitmore sent off. That's their third red card of the season as they lost 2-1 at home to Eastleigh, for whom Paul McCallum was back on the score sheet and there was a first goal for Jake Taylor. Um, that pretty much wraps things up for uh, Saturday's games. Quick look ahead to the fixtures midweek. Barnett, the older shot I'll be out and mentioned. Uh, Chesterfield play at home to FC Halifax Town um, and uh, Oldham against York catches the eye there as well there, Matt. Yeah, big game for us. We need to win it. Fair enough. Can't say fairer than that. That's brilliant. Thank you very much indeed, Matt, for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Good stuff. And Joe, you're going to stay with us as we review the FA Cup action. If you see somebody showing any of the signs of a stroke, you don't have to think about it. You just dial 999. Use the FAST test. F. Face. Has their face fallen on one side? Can they smile? A. Arms. Can they raise both arms and keep them there? S. Speech. Is their speech slurred? T. Time. Time to call 999 if you see any one of these signs. Act fast. Make the call. Dial 999. So, looking at the FA Cup then, we couldn't do it without this man. Um, probably, uh, he, he's clocked up at least five years on this podcast now. Not probably on this one as much as he's uh, uh, joining Tim Fuel on the Non-League Show uh, podcast. Uh, all other good podcasts are available too. But uh, Phil, Annette, um, great to have you back on again. How are you keeping? Yeah, I'm keeping well, thanks, Rob. Good to uh, be back on your show. It's always good. It's, it means the... Uh... FA Cup's getting to the serious part of the non-league world. Absolutely. We love it. We love it in the non-league world. I only tend to lose a bit of interest in the FA Cup, if I'm honest, towards the final stages when uh, no matter what's gone on before, it seems like two of the big six end up in the final by hook or by crook. And, uh, of course, that's not always the case. But uh, we've got, we're right across this one. Joe has been beavering away. You know, making sure he's got uh, plenty of knowledge on the actual games themselves. And of course, Phil, you know, you're the stats man, really, aren't you? Um, one of the things we were just talking about off air, perhaps you can just confirm that a number of ties in total in the second qualifying round was. So in total, there'll be 80 ties in the second qualifying round. Um, yeah, and it's not the most, is it? The most comes in which round and how many? Yeah, we got uh, over 200 in the extra preliminary round. Um, I think it was 208, I think, this season, which is the joint highest there's ever been in the FA Cup in any one round. That's just crazy, really. Um, you know, regular listeners to the show will probably already know about Phil, but on Twitter he's FA at FA Cup Fact File. I mean, how difficult is it for you 
trying to be timely with your research when there's that amount of games, particularly involving a lot of clubs that some of which will have a Twitter account, some won't. Yeah, yeah, it's very hard. I mean, I, I, I always have to check and double check. I can't just take one Twitter account's word for their result. I have been caught a couple of times in the past. Um, and, I, and going to a game as well means I don't get back until an hour or two after the matches are finished. So to try and then get coverage of the games in, as you say, a timely manner can be quite difficult. And, you know, sadly for me, I have gone beyond midnight while still trying to uh, collate all the scores. And and my head is like spinning as, is it today or is it yesterday by that time? <laughs> and Joe, um, although there's a lot of ties and a lot of clubs involved, we obviously unashamedly are going to focus on the uh, National League North and the National League South clubs because we just cover those three divisions. Um, as an overall kind of headline, I know there's at least one uh, club still involved uh, as we as we record this afternoon but uh, from the National Leagues. But um, how did the North and South teams do on the whole and when compared with each other? Yeah, um, well, the uh, the North seems teams seemed to do better. Um, there was a couple of ties whereby there was uh, National League South teams against each other uh, in the uh, uh, Eastbourne played against Worthing. Uh, Worthing went through. West uh, Western Supermare played Truro. Western Supermare went through. Um, most of the uh, National League North teams are either still in the hat um, or got through fairly comfortably, even if the, the results didn't show that way. Um, so yeah, the uh, I mean, there'll always be a shock when they're on, the, on this round. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the South teams seem to, to struggle a little bit more. And Phil, although we don't sort of go too much in depth on the clubs outside of the National League, who at this stage is or are uh, the uh, the lowest ranked teams left in the cup? Yeah, we've got a, a couple of uh, Step 5 clubs still standing, although both of them need a replay in order to uh, still be going on in the next round. Um, Emily AFC from the Northern Counties East League um, are about 11th or 12th in their division. And then we've got Reading City from the Combined Counties Premier League North, who are 16th in their division. Um, what's interesting for me is that since... The National League North and South was introduced in 2004-05. There's never been a season where we haven't had any Step 5 clubs in the third qualifying round. And uh, this season, it's looking quite perilous that that might be the case. All right, good stuff. Let's have a little look then uh, a bit more closely at how some of the teams in the North and the South got on. Where do you want to start, Joe? Um, perhaps we could start on the game on the telly. Uh, Tad Caster Albion against Chester. Um, Chester managed to get through in the end, uh, but it certainly wasn't a uh, all plain sailing. Managed to catch the uh, tail end of that game. Uh, it was actually Tad Caster Albion that, that took the lead in that one, uh, but Chester managed to run out uh, fairly comfortable winners in the end. A goal from Ewan Murray, really, really good finish for Chester to put them level before a goal from Harrison Burt, really powerful header from a corner before they made uh, sure there was no sort of. Uh, problems near the end when Charlie Caton ran through and, and slotted home. So, so they got through and they'll be pleased to get through that one, but it was a tricky tie potentially, and they've not started the league form uh, particularly well. Uh, so they'll be pleased with that one. And uh, a first FA Cup game in charge, 
a second game in total for Steve King at Haven and Waterlooville. Uh, they had a tricky one, didn't they, away to Bracknell Town? How did they get on? Well, it started okay. Um, they went in front, Mo Fowl. Uh, he got them in front. He always seems to score, so there's only going to be uh, one person to score for them. But Bracknell Town uh, managed to turn the game on its head. Uh, two goals for them. Um, a couple of new signings for Haven and Waterlooville uh, that all made their debuts in that one. Dylan Crow from Torquay, Johan Zuma from Dagenham and Redbridge and uh, Jack Jeb from Dorkham. Uh, they all had their debuts, started the game, but uh, not enough in the end for them as uh, they crashed out. Yeah, and uh, um, um, a quick glance down the scores, and correct me, I'm sure Phil will if I'm wrong here, but the biggest winners of the day, was that uh, Yeovil Town against AFC Stoneham? Yeah, Yeovil Town hit seven at home to AFC Stoneham. Uh, not a surprise, it was uh, where the high score was, given the three divisions between the two sides, and uh, AFC Stoneham had never been that far in the competition or further in the competition before. You know, got to remember 10 years ago, they were like, eight divisions apart so it's uh, amazing that they're even playing each other but yes so the biggest scorers were Yeovil Town Who was amongst the scorers there Joe? Yeah well the, the one that would take obviously uh, all the plaudits is uh, uh, Murphy for Yeovil he got hat-trick for them uh, in, in that one as well for Jordan Young from a free kick uh, but we have to give uh, a mention to I think it's Duarte Robbins uh, he's the the man that will go away with uh, all the glory because he managed to get a consolation for FC Stoneham in that one. Uh, so even though uh, they went away with a defeat, he'll be uh, really, really happy for the remainder of this season with the, uh, the goal there. We mentioned the managerial departure in the National League. I believe there was one too, Joe, um, after one of the National League North sides exited the FA Cup. Yeah. Um, I said obviously that there were um, the, the National League North sides tended to do better, but there were a couple of big uh, shock, sort of shocks in, in this round. Uh, one of those was, was Gloucester City. They went out to AFC Totten at home uh, and quite a convincing one as well, 3 0 uh, to the away side. And it's actually resulted in Tim Flowers and, and Jan Klukowski uh, losing their job. Uh, as a result of that one. So, um, yeah, not a good day for, for Gloucester City. Obviously losing and, and now need a, a new manager. I think Absolutely. Sorry, I think that's Sorry, the fifth time, fifth time in successive years they've lost to a lower league side, I think someone was telling me, uh, from the Gloucester City fan base. So this isn't... Wow. Isn't that expected were, for them? <laughs> their record in the FA Cup's worse than all the shots, surely. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Southport, Joe, they've... Uh, They've been in much better form of late under the new uh, manager there, but uh, but they certainly were humbled in the FA Cup, weren't they? Yeah, and it was another uh, 3-0. Obviously, you said that uh, they, they'd made a fairly good start under Jim Bentley, uh, but Morpeth Town, um, quite a, a strong side, and, and they managed to uh, to run out 3-0 winners for them. And by all accounts, it was a, a really poor performance. Speaking to a couple of the, the Southport fans, it wasn't uh, wasn't as if it was a close game that Morpeth seemed to, to nick. It was fairly, fairly convincing. It could have been more than three and should have been more than three in truth. So, uh, yeah. Not uh, not the best of afternoons for, for Jim Bentley's side. Now, Bath City has sat top of the National League South. But at one point in yesterday's game, it looked like they might be going out of the FA Cup, didn't it, Joe? Uh, good comeback from them in the end. 
Yeah, run out winners uh, in the end against uh, lower ranked Larkhall, uh, but it didn't look like it was going to be that way as uh, they went. To, they were three-two winners, but Larkhall actually were went in front. Uh, they struck twice in the opening eleven minutes, um, and uh, they would have thought, "What on earth's going on here?" But uh, in the end, a couple of goals. Uh, one of their key men so far this season, uh, Jordan Thomas, he got amongst the goals again, long range strike and uh, two goals from who else but Cody Cook. He's been back in the goals this season. Um, so not the best of starts, but ultimately, as it is always about in this uh, round of the FA Cup, it's just about getting the job done. And uh, I think that was Jerry Gill's message yesterday. Not the brilliant, uh, most uh, pleasing that they got through. And Phil, just coming back to you, I probably should have asked this question a little sooner in case we've already covered the game. But prior to kickoff yesterday, what was the biggest differential uh, in terms of, uh, you know, a National League North or South side playing against a lower ranked team? Yeah, there was about um, five ties where there was a step five club facing a National League side and a couple of them away from home. We talked about AFC Stoneham at Yeovil and... Uh, Bishop Auckland, they were playing South Shield and gave them a very good game from all accounts, uh, only to lose it late on. And then there was a few at home uh, who were all put to the sword by the uh, higher league side. So no major upset at that level. No, one of those lower ranked sides that played at home to one of the big guns, arguably perhaps the biggest gun at that level, uh, Torquay United was Wimborne. Joe, chance for you to wax lyrical about Torquay and your best mate, Gary Johnson. Yeah, it was uh, the Tim Sills derby. Um, obviously, the uh, Wimborne managed by Tim Sills now. Uh, Talkie legend scored the goal that got us into the, the Football League. But unfortunately, there was no upset. Um, fairly convincing from Talkie United. Uh, opening goal from Brett McGavin. Uh, he seems to be a man reborn in recent weeks uh, in a new role for him. And uh, Tom Lapsey put the icing on the cake with a couple of minutes left to make it 3-0 uh, and uh, fairly routine performance for them. So uh, not to be for Wimbledon. Good, good news. Is it true? And I can't remember if we discussed yeah. this off air or on the podcast, Joe, but uh, no more than a few weeks ago that Gary Johnson spoke to the Torquay fans and said, look, Brett McGovern's here to stay. I want you to get behind him. He is a good player and he can get back to the levels he's shown before. He asked for that support. Presumably, they've given it and it's really paying off, isn't it? Yeah, you, you, you really have got to, you know, granted it's only a couple of games, but you've got to hold your hands up and say, yeah, you know, he's uh, giving him a new lease of life, bit of a different role, even though he's actually scored two goals, uh, obviously yesterday in the FA Cup against Wimborne and in the league as well. He's actually been in a deeper lying role uh, where he hasn't got to run around as much. And um, yeah, he, he's really flourishing in that role. And yeah, fair enough. You know, they've looked uh, really, really convincing. Phil, you had a point on the game, I believe. Yeah, I was just going to say that it was a potential banana skin, obviously, but it uh, would have been even more embarrassing a defeat because it's, I think, 99 years since Torquay uh, lost before the Q3 round of the FA Cup. So that wouldn't have been something any of the current players would have wanted on their CV. Is that a fair stat, really, Phil? No, because no, I mean, it's, it's not. It's but... not, is it? 
It's not. Yeah. <laughs> it's about 99 years since I last played at this level or something, but uh, <laughs> a couple of seasons in this lower level. Fair enough, but, uh, you know, lies, stats and all that. <laughs> <in there. laughs> um, one side that might well be coming up against National uh, League North sides probably uh, in the uh, next two or three years, if they can keep up their dynamic process so far, is Robbie Savage's Macclesfield. Um, now, they got a chance to test themselves, Joe, uh, on Saturday against uh, a side who've established themselves well at National League North level now, Buxton, uh, and not, not too much distance between those two sides either. How did that one go? Yeah, well, this one did come as a bit of a surprise to me, I have to be honest. I, I, I really like what uh, Buxton are doing. They've impressed me so far this season and I thought it would be a difficult game against Macclesfield, um, but I thought they would get through that one, but uh, not to be. It was Macclesfield, lower-ranked opponents that got through at home. Laurent Mendy giving them the lead before they uh, managed to seal the win with uh, 13 minutes left, Luke Duffy uh, scoring their second. And uh, yeah, as you said, if Macclesfield can keep up their upward trajectory, then they, they might well be playing Buxton in the, the next couple of years. On two sides that will have come up against each other in recent years in the National League South, two sides that uh, always seem to be punching above their weight. Well, they met this time, but not from the same uh, level. And that was Chippenham at home to Hungerford who no longer play in the National League South, do they, Joe? But uh, how did that one end up? Yeah, um, another sort of upset, um, another National League South side uh, going out. Um, it was a really, really rotten afternoon for them and actually started in the warm-up. Uh, Captain Matt McClure for Chippenham got injured in the warm-up, which meant they had to uh, make uh, a couple of changes there. And um, yeah, Will Henry, obviously, he's usually a very, very good goalkeeper for Chippenham, um, but he made a couple of uh, mistakes for them. And uh, yeah, it's been a bit of a rotten start to the season for, for Chippenham. And uh, they obviously went down 4-1, couple of goals for Ellis Watts. Um, and as if it couldn't get any worse, Luke Haynes for uh, Chippenham, who was the, the skipper in uh, Matt McClure's absence, he also got sent off. Uh, in stoppage time. So uh, lost their captain in the warm-up, had a man sent off and went out 4-1 to a team in the lower ranks. So, uh, yeah, not the best afternoon for them. Now, Phil, the uh, FA Cup second uh, qualifying round is split, isn't it, geographically? But you do get some unusual little quirks of fate, like, for example, Kings Lynn from the National League North being drawn against Avery, who are right up there at the top end of the... Uh, National League South and the game itself wasn't anything to write home about. It's a nil-nil draw, but it does mean that a North team will now travel to a South team for a replay in the week. Yeah, it is. It's a, it, uh, I, I guess it's a, a, a mix of the Northern-South divide, um, depending on who gets promoted, who gets relegated each season. That makes that a bit of a strange oddity that it doesn't line up, the league doesn't line up necessarily with the FA's regional splits when they come to do the cup draws. So, yes, it, it does happen a lot um, that you see teams playing in the north or south playing southern teams. Gloucester City is a good example. I mean, they're in the north. front they played AFC Tottenham. They couldn't be more south and still be mainland, really. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, well, we can't obviously cover every single game uh, in this one, but just a few other scores and results that come to mind. And then, Joe, I'll come to you for a final roundup as well. Um, 
Warrington, Curzon Ashton, two National League North sides this year. Five goal thriller there, Curzon Ashton coming out on that one. And uh, Scunthorpe and Brackley, two of the top sides in the National League North, they couldn't be separated either. That was a goalless draw. Uh, Scotty Davis didn't have to travel far with his slough side. They came away with a 2-0 win at Hazen Yedin. And I think that's three wins on the trot now for Scotty Davis' side in all competitions. Um, and there was a coming together of two of those Southwestern National League South sides as well. Western Supermare and Truro City. And Western Supermare came out on top in that one by two goals to nil. Um, just come to you both one more time. Joe, um, any other particular games you wanted to mention? Um, yeah, the, the only other one really that uh, I wanted to shine a light on was uh, a really big win for Salisbury, uh, away at Mousehole. Uh, Mousehole have been doing really well in, in recent seasons, but a big win for them on the road. Um, probably the, the highest scorers uh, after Yeovil. So, uh, yeah, really good day uh, down in the, the south for them. And I can't believe I'm going to correct you's from the southwest on this one, but it's Mousel, isn't it, Phil? It is Mousel, yes. <laughs> That's all right. No shame on that. I only know because uh, I listened to Mark White's post-match after the Dorking played down there in pre-season. Uh, final fling from uh, yourself, Phil. It may or may not involve, you know, lower-level clubs that have earned themselves replays in the week against North or South clubs. I don't know. Where do you want to go with your final input? Well, I've got a couple of things there. I think we've, uh, we need to mention uh, Nantwich Town against Bamboo United which is uh, the biggest cup set of the round, I think. Uh, Two-step difference between the two sides. So you've got step four beating the National League's north side. And uh, Nantwich are in their 100th FA Cup campaign, so they're really in, enjoying making the most of that that uh, that run. Uh, but yeah, there's quite a few, um, I think there's about 10 more ties where, there, oh, eight, sorry, eight ties, I think, where National League sides have got to play lower level clubs in replays. And there's still potential for more cup sets if uh, if they don't play to their best. We've had, I think, uh, 11 National League sides knocked out already at this stage. It's about average. Typically, we get around 11, 12, 13, 14. Um, 21's the worst. And uh, that, that could still happen if all things went wrong uh, in the replays. And is that one of the things that initially drew you to be so... And, 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 and I'm going to use the word. I mean, I could say passionate, and you are, but obsessed with the FA Cup? <laughs> I think uh, I've always loved the FA Cup. I mean, growing up with it, it was the main competition, wasn't it, as we, people of my generation? And uh, I've always loved the stat side of football too. And uh, as time's gone on, uh, the FA Cup, there was an opportunity there for somebody to provide information about those teams involved in the competition before it gets to the first round. And uh, I loved going to watch games in that level. And I started talking to people and they... We're really happy to have their day in the sun if I could bring it to them. And, uh, you know, even if it's just one little tweet that says they've done well, it's, uh, it's like they feel, you know, there's a, there's a, they feel like they've been part of the competition when they get recognised. And, and I love to bring that to fruition. And I know, obviously, as each year goes by, more and more people know about you and what you do with your FA Cup stats. But uh, in terms of the sheer amount of games that are on, have, have you had a situation yet on any given day where you've had proactive invites from clubs to come and watch them and you've had to turn one or two down because you you can't be everywhere can you <laughs> can't be everywhere no yeah i mean it, um yeah lots of clubs have asked me to to attend their games and i get to as many different games as i can um i do like to go to new places so that's uh, something i always look forward to 
it, particularly in the early rounds, I, I don't like to travel too far because obviously, as I said earlier, I've got so much to cover when I get back that the later I get back, the harder that becomes to do. So, yeah, I I, 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 I do have a lot of opportunities to go to a lot of places and hopefully I get to them all in the end. Brilliant stuff. And at this point, as we record, have you made up your mind if and where you're going to midweek for a replay? I haven't yet made my mind up yet. I'm still looking at, because there's games on Monday night and Tuesday, so I'm still looking at trying to get to both. Well, there you go. You heard it here, listeners. Get your invites in to Phil. He may do a raffle to see where he's going to go <laughs> to uh, uh, his next game. But Phil, no, all joking apart, thank you so much for joining us again. No, my pleasure. I'm always uh, always up to talking to you guys after each FA Cup round involves your clubs. Thank you very much also to Matt Dean, who joined us earlier on to talk about the Oldham managerial conversation. And thank you, Joe, for being with us all the way through. Yeah, no worries. Nice to be uh, back on. That's it for now, listeners. Uh, enjoy your midweek football. I'm sure you're bound to find somewhere, uh, someone to watch somewhere, whether that's an FA Cup replay or one of the busy lot of National League fixtures in the week. We'll be back next weekend. Until then, play the theme tune, Luke. <laughs>